Hello everyone, I am your host Maddie B, and here's today's episode of There's Too Much to Think. Today I will be talking about the story behind Jurassic Park. I hope you like it. Alright, now on to the books versus movie and how they change. As we all know, book to movie adaptations have a lot of changes. Uh, One important one is the fact that only the first two books of the- uh, only the first two movies of the trilogy have any actual pre-existing source material to work with, which means that the author, Michael Crichton, I think that's how you say his name, only wrote two books out of the six, uh, which might explain why some people feel the third one was garbage, and why the current trilogy that's out right now, the newer one, uh, they refuse to watch it on principle. According to an article done by Audible Blog, Michael Crichton uh, had earned his MD from Harvard Medical School in 1969, and he used his knowledge for two things, to go more in-depth about the science being used and to provide graphic details of deaths and or injuries, making the movie's details quite tame in comparison. This kind of scares me, because I recently ordered the book, and I am scared because this, the movies don't do, don't shy away from blood. Like I know the first trilogy does, but the second trilogy does not. So how graphic does this get? <laughs> Obviously, this was a gold mine for movie studios. So Universal. Uh, eventually won the rights later on, but there was a brief bidding war before the two books even hit the shelves. Um, but, like I said, Universal won, and Steven Spielberg was the director. So, now, on the characters, the most important part, in my opinion. As we all know, characters often change due to book-to-movie adaptations, for example, a very common one, um, Hermione was in the Harry Potter movies, were given a lot more um, lines that were originally Ron's in the books, which kind of makes me a little miffed, but this isn't a Harry Potter podcast, so I'll move on. There were some slight differences in age and personality in this one as well, um, which I said, which like before, it's pretty common. But there are still some decisions that end up making the book and movie diverge. For example, Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler. In the movie, there appears to be an underlying romantic tension between the two. However, in the book, Dr. Grant makes it a point to keep the relationship professional, as she is his mentee and he is her mentor. I've seen too many books do the um, teacher in love with the student trope, and it kind of makes me upset that um, 
the Jurassic Park movies went in that direction. In fact, when I first saw this movie, when I was young, I thought Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler were married. Not the case. (laughs) Um, Or how Dr. Wu is viciously devoured by a raptor alive in the books shortly meeting him like shortly after meeting him like during the first time that the dinosaurs escape whereas in the films he is still alive and kicking even to this day which honestly i'm like please kill him off he's the reason all of this is still happening but i mean they're making money so why would they kill off a character that's making them more money um on a similar note dr malcolm um the like mathematician dude was presumed dead by the injuries that befell him by a t-rex um which we did see in the first movie but he did eventually survive that but the most shocking of these changes is just how different the park's founder john hammond is in in the depiction of the film versus the novel We all know the lovable John Hammond from the film. He's a kind grandfather who simply wanted to bring back dinosaurs to marvel at their beauty. And, you know, his grandson was really into dinosaurs. He probably was like, this would be a wonderful bonding experience for him, and so on. Maybe make a little bit of cash, but in the end, it was all for good fun. And he does, in fact, listen to his advisors and chooses not to endorse his park, at least until the second movie. But we don't need to talk about that. The novel's version of events, however, are interesting. John Hammond is actually one of the novel's main antagonists, of the human variety anyway. Uh, he often doesn't care about safety protocols, doesn't properly inform people who are working for him, doesn't listen to his advisors, and the cherry on top, he doesn't even care about his own grandchildren who have been put through hell and likely would have died back in the car with the T-Rex if Dr. Grant hadn't been there. Uh, so basically, he's your everyday money-hungry capitalist, just seeking, seeking that cash. Um, I refuse to spoil anything, which sadly, in researching this topic, I did spoil myself, but that's fine, I won't spoil it for you. But he does get a bit of nasty justice in the end. So, do without what you will. And now, on to Jurassic Park, The Lost World. It is important to stress that Crichton didn't want a sequel to the first book. At all. But due to the pressure from both fans and Universal Studios, Crichton relented and wrote the sequel Jurassic Park The Lost World. Once again, according to an article done by Audible, the script of this movie was already being made before Crichton finished the book, which in my opinion explains a lot, which is why <laughs> which is why the sequel uh, which is likely why the sequel to the first movie has more differences than similarities to the original source material, and there's honestly just too too much to list here. So, now, on to the more important question. Are the dinosaurs we see accurate in comparison to, di- to today's research?
All right, so are the dinosaurs we see in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World accurate? The short answer is no. <laughs> the first five dinosaurs, or the first five movies that we see, the dinosaurs are not accurate with the most recent information that we have been given. Uh, one of the most popular changes in dinosaurs that we've seen in recent years is their appearance. Dinosaurs do have feathers, um, but due to the fact that feathers don't fossilize well it was thought that they were the more scaly repti reptilian type that we saw in the first few movies which is why for a long time there was that common misconception that dinosaurs are related to allig alligators like they're the evolution evolutionary like family member that's wrong in fact that popular idea hasn't even been challenged until there was a dinosaur discovered in a province in china i'm not even going to try to pronounce it because it's a Chinese name, and I am white. So until there was a study done in 2014 by uh, Science Magazine, it was completely proven that dinosaurs would have had feathers, or most dinosaurs would have had feathers, excuse me. Since then, according to an article done by Live Science, there has been some debate on why dinosaurs would develop feathers in the first place, but most can agree on a few things. One, a way to keep their eggs warm and isolated while incubating, which makes sense. Or as a way to communicate with other dinosaurs. For example, if you're a small dinosaur, you would make your feathers like poof out real big and make it look like you were much bigger than you actually were to try and scare off other people or other dinosaurs. And then another one is most likely used during mating rituals, which we see a lot often. And birds, because birds are the, and like, birds are today's dinosaurs, so it makes sense that they would have feathers. Uh, another notable change is a way, is the way that scientists, scientists have started to discover how dinosaurs' behavioral patterns have changed over the years. What once was an animal that seemed to hunt alone, now became an animal that hunted with a whole pack, and vice versa. The most notable debate has been that of the T-Rex. Was it a scavenger or a hunter? Well, David Burnham, a paleontologist from U the University of Kansas, tells Life Science that the T-Rex was an op opportunist. I almost said opportunistic. I apologize. The T-Rex was an opportunist. Um, they mostly scavenged for food, but weren't afraid to kill if there was an ab no abundant carcasses around. Uh, and according to an analysis, analysis done in 2010, they weren't above eating their own species either, as there were markings found in bones of T-Rex that were made by one of their own. Um, there's still debate on whether or not the T-Rex traveled in packs or by themselves, so maybe we'll figure that out in the next decade. Obviously, they couldn't put this in the Jurassic Park movies, especially the most recent ones, because that's the big bad in those movies. So, and then finally, another common thing that changed was where we uh, decided that dinosaurs lived. Most of the time when you see things about dinosaurs, they're usually in a tropical area surrounded by trees, trees and underbrush, or maybe even like deserts. Uh, Gregory Erickson from Florida, uh, from Florida University was one of 
was on the research team that shattered the pre-existing notion when he and his team found out found baby dinosaur bones in what was now known as Alaska. I apologize for some reason. That sentence took me forever to figure out. I apologize. And it's important to note that that the incubation of a small dinosaur is around three to six months, depending on the species. So his team suggests that the dinosaurs simply wouldn't have enough time to go to Alaska, have babies, because there was that whole thing of like, what if this is just the mating ground? No. And then make the migration back in time before the Alaskan winter hit, and uh, they were enveloped in freezing temperatures and surrounded by darkness for six months. Which, that would make sense. If they had feathers, why they would stay. Um, And this doesn't even involve just one species of dinosaur either. According to him, this team found a baby T-Rex, a Triceratops, some duckbill dinosaurs, and more. This finding supports that most dinosaurs could regulate their body temperature much like we can. All this being said... (laughs) Of the Jurassic Park movies, Jurassic World Dominion, the most recent one, is the most accurate and up-to-date because, you know, there are mentioned, like, they are literally in freeze. It's one point in the movie, which if you haven't seen it, at one point in the movie, it's snowing and the dinosaurs are fine. um, And they even have dinosaurs with feathers, which I thought was really cool. Given that this is the most recent movie, we can assume and expect that this would be the most accurate. On to the next next segment of how close are we to bringing back dinosaurs. is we're not <laughs> we are not bringing back dinosaurs i know that's sad i know everyone wants like a baby triceratops as a pet but that's not the case um we do have the technology we are starting to develop the technology like we can there's talk about us bringing back mammoths um tasmanian tigers all sorts of stuff but there's no real point <laughs> to bring back dinosaurs. Um, I have to define the word de-extinction for you in order for you to fully get this. The name of the process itself seems pretty simple, but it's the process of resurrecting species of animal that have got, are going extinct or are extinct. Essentially, as Dr. Malcolm says in the most recent trilogy, playing God. We are playing God. And it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> is there, Are there some benefits to bringing back animals? Yes. Are there benefits to bringing back mammoths? No. Uh, <laughs> to put it nicely, or any of the animals that they 
that they really want to bring back don't have any purpose because it was so long ago in the past that if we were to place them in today's world, everyone would be fucked. Just like if we were to bring back dinosaurs, they would figure out where they fit in the food chain and we as humans would not like that. So... (laughs) There's really no reason to bring back dinosaurs, or even mammoths, or Tasmanian titan, nothing. Um, So yeah, there's no point to it, especially considering that we have evolutionary family family members, like birds. Um, There's talk about, as I mentioned, there's talk about mammoths coming back and people like putting in you know, doing some cloning and splicing, genetic splicing, so that you could put a baby mammoth inside of a, um, baby mammoth genetic code inside of a Asian elephant, uh, mom, because those are the most recent, like, those are the most linked out of all the elephants, that being said, can you imagine doing that with a bird and then, like, them just popping out a baby T-Rex? Like, that... That wouldn't work. There are too many different species. It just wouldn't work. Like, they're gonna pop out a T-Rex. Okay, what are you gonna do? That baby T-Rex is gonna destroy everything. Not even to mention the environment that they lived in. It's not the same environment we live in now. Um, they could have viruses that none of us have heard about. And why would we do that after we've experienced COVID? Like, why would we bring that back? So, I'm sorry you don't get to have your pet triceratops, but we're not bringing back dinosaurs. And if we do, I will eat my words. The only reason we would bring them back is for... Just like John Hammond in the book, we would bring them back for capitalist reasons. And honestly, having millions of people die would be a capitalist nightmare. So I don't even imagine why they would do that either. So. And on that happy note, it's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed. And, uh, yeah. I'll see you. I guess I won't see you. I'll talk to you guys on Wednesday, I think is when I plan to do my next update. Bye. This is your host, Maddie P, signing off.